So this bolt of lightning shot across the universe and inspired me with the idea that we have to do a podcast. And that's what I wanted to tell you. We should do a podcast. Okay, bye. Yes. Okay. Welcome to Feature Creep, colon. Built-in microwave. Semicolon. Your brain is a construction zone. Oh, I'm excited for this beep, one. Beep, 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 beep. This is where I'll edit in the like the truck backing <laughs> up and the like the backhoe noise. Like, yep. Jackhammer. We should just like sample a jackhammer from off the street <laughs> and just put it on loop the whole time so you can't even hear what anybody's saying. This is the most important podcast you've never heard. So <clears throat> this whole episode yeah. is based on chapter three from like our favorite book. Yeah. Pretty much. It's yeah. like evolving into our favorite book. Right. Uh, pragmatic thinking and learning. Refract, ref, refractor your wetware. <laughs> Refactor your wetware by Andy Hunt. Um, and actually this is the version that we're using is the ninth printing and it was printed in 2014, but the copyright is 2008. So yeah, that's all the, that's all the info you need right? to go find it yourself. Right. Um, so chapter three in this book is called, this is your brain. And the big three sort of ideas in this chapter are, um, a discussion of, when your brain works in linear mode, mm-hmm. when your brain works in, um, what's the R mode? I forget. Hang on. Let me flip to the page. Um, rich mode. Rich mode. Yeah. So there's linear mode and rich mode. Mm-hmm. And uh, in another podcast episode, we talked about lat- lateral problem solving, I think. I think we did. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. so lateral problem solving, just for reference to tie things together, is R mode or rich mode brain processing okay so that'll be important in a little while and then the third main section of this chapter discusses very briefly and kind of um not superficially or reductively but um very simply and Mm -hmm. easy to understand metaphorically discusses neuroplasticity right so l mode r mode and neuroplasticity right um so i'll just uh tell you what l mode is okay so linear mode <clears throat> linear mode is the part of your brain that or the the functioning of your brain that um handles things like uh linear thought, math, uh language, um anything where f- you have to follow a series of steps to a particular outcome. Okay. Um what I is I guess I struggle with like, what's a good example of linear thought? What does linear thought mean really? Okay. So, um, this is like a really interesting thing. So this is a quote from page 43. Uh, try to describe the face of even your closest loved one. How you put, how do you put that recognition ability into words? Can you make a database describing the faces of people, you know, in such a way that you could recognize them based on that description? No. It's a great ability, but it isn't rooted in the verbal linguistic L mode. Oh, okay. Sure. Okay. Um, so R mode mm-hmm. isn't necessarily directly controllable right. the way that linear mode is. Or okay. So rich mode is much more of a um, sort of <laughs> scattered is maybe like a, a negative word, sure. yeah. but it's um, 
it's, it doesn't follow a specific process. Uh-huh. It's a nonlinear okay. function. Right. And so um, it has to do with like intuition and creativity and like thoughts just kind of arising and um, sort of like making thoughts or having thoughts and making conclusions about things that might not be right but are based off of what you're thinking and or sort of sensing and feeling at the time i so i um but this is not i this is what we're what we're saying here or what the book is saying Mm -hmm. this is a metaphor for like a kind of thought Right. way to think about Yes. Yeah, so there's no like location or section of the gray matter of your brain that's dedicated to L mode. Mm-hmm. And there's no like chunk or region of your brain that handles right. R mode. Another way that they describe it here is that R mode is um, essentially like if you ever have an aha moment. Yeah. Um, that's your R mode thinking or your R mode processing. That's your brain sort of chewing on a problem subconsciously in the background. You're not uh-huh. aware of it necessarily and you right. can't make it happen. Sure. And those aha moments are moments where, um, the R mode is, which is an asynchronous process is running in the background, kind of looking through things you already know, trying to make new connections about things, dig up information. Um, and, it, R mode is where uh, the, one of the functions of R mode or R mode describes the function of your brain storing all the stuff, okay. like all of your experiences, all of your thinking, all mm-hmm. of your memories, like all of the stuff that helps you make sense of the world around you is the fodder for when your brain processes in R mode. Okay, um, And so it it's constantly drawing on all the stuff that's in there already. Okay. Um. Another example they give here is, have you ever driven to work in the morning and realized with a start that you have no memory of actually driving the last 10 minutes? Your brain recognizes that this isn't terribly useful data, so it doesn't bother to index it. That makes remembering it a little difficult. And so our mode is like, our mode is the thing that would make that stuff stick. Okay. But since it's not really useful to you in any meaningful way, your brain doesn't retain that because it doesn't want to use the real estate. Gotcha. For something that's essentially pointless or that you already get, like you've driven that path a million times, doing it one more time without any novel input in the process isn't going to help you at all. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, yeah. And do you want me to say more about L mode or? Um, well, okay. So why are these important or why are, why are these an important metaphor for, um, thinking about the way one thinks? Oh, sure. Okay. So like, um, you need to, uh, well, a lot of, uh, elements of thinking mm-hmm. that fall into the L mode category of things. So verbal things like using words to name or describe or define things, yeah. um, analytical, figuring things out step by step, um, using symbols to stand for something, right. um, keeping track of time and sequencing things, drawing conclusions based on reasons and facts, mm-hmm. um, and using numbers and, and logic. That's all part of linear functioning. And that's the sort of stuff that, uh, not only we're, uh, do they focus on when we're taught things in school, you're yeah. taught to be analytical and right, follow right. the steps to the right answer right. and demonstrate that you know how to get there mm-hmm. and and add to your lexicon all these things are things that are l-mode and there's a lot of reinforcement for that sort of stuff mm-hmm. there's not a lot of reinforcement for r-mode thinking right 
because it doesn't have there's not a clear path where it's like learn our mode thinking develop that make money right 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 um so a lot of the stuff that you know i would i would venture to say a lot of things that are economically useful at yeah. the outset are obviously you can state very clearly why they're economically beneficial sure. right those are like linear things right a lot of Things that make money mm -hmm. that are creative processes are also good to have. Sure. But it's less obvious why, because the path to them, <clears throat> maybe I'm conjecturing here. Sure. This is not part of the book. The path to getting money from those things is not a linear process. There's no like, learn how to paint these paintings, paint right. a bunch of these paintings, sell these paintings for $450 a piece. Right. That would be like a linear function, but right. that's that would be not back to L mode. You're not using your, right. you might like touch in the R mode right. when you're thinking of a new painting or something, but you're probably not. I yeah. Mean, part of it is, yeah. And there's not a way to like apply the method to art sure. or creative practices to right. arrive every time at a repeatable process with a repeatable solution. Right. So I think it's just, um, I think it's much harder to teach too. Sure. Especially if it's sort of, um, not rooted in language in any way. Right. It's you're kind of it's just so abstract and it's it's difficult to even it's a climb to get up there linguistically. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, so um to describe it. I mean and th and that's why I, I imagine that's why we're even talking about having a metaphor for something. I mean we're not we're not claiming this is exactly how one's brain works or how a human mind works. It's right. just um, or I imagine that's not exactly what Andy Hunt is claiming in his mm -hmm, book here. Mm -hmm. He's basically Correct. saying this is a metaphor that's useful for thinking about how you think about things. Exactly. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah. So, um, so we, in, in contrast to the linear, verbal, analytic, symbolic, abstract, temporal, rational, digital, logical, linear thinking, yeah. which is all Elmo thinking, right. our mode specifically is nonverbal. It's synthetic. Okay. So you don't, learn from R mode thinking in the way you learn from L mode thinking. Okay. Um, when you mean synthetic, you mean like it, it, uh, is syn it's synthesis. It's it, yes, it's a process of synthesis. So gotcha. rather than taking something in and absorbing the information from the outside world, like you would yeah. when someone's teaching you math, right? Um, R mode is a process by which you learn things by making things. So like gotcha. trial and error is kind of like an R mode process a, a little okay. bit, or sure. that's like, one there's a lot of L mode thinking, but the, the learning process of it is more, R it's an acquisition. acquisition. Yeah. Right. Or like it's a L mode is like an acquisition process and R mode is like a synthetic process where you create. And as you are creating, sure. you find things out as you go. Right. Um, I mean, I also imagine it would be easier to think in terms of creating, um, that sort of, um, process of like failure, Mm, yeah like we where, talked about yeah, yeah especially if you observe like children or you can remember you know if you remember as a child doing something over and over again or um or just kind of your exploration of your environment where you're learning as you move through it like oh don't stub my toe again or mm -hmm. don't touch the hot iron or whatever you know those things yeah. or you know that was fun or look at the pretty lights when i you know, tickle with this thing or move this thing around here, but, yeah. um, you know, shake the leaves in the tree or whatever, climb the tree, all yeah. of that sensory experience, like you're taking in and you're synthesizing. I'm, I'm yeah. You're, you're creating and you're exploring that sort of that. space of movement as a child. You're like, Oh, this is how my arm moves. I'm just doing it right now. Mm -hmm. through play or, you know, through yeah, experience. like experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's like a nonlinear process. Like okay. you, you don't follow specific steps to right. synthesize things from okay. our mode. Um, 
it's analogic. So okay. it's not directly literal. It's, it's, there's a lot of like metaphor. I think like idiomatic thinking would fall under this. Maybe, mm-hmm. oh, well, although that's language, so maybe not, I shouldn't say that. Sure. But, um, so our mode is also categorized as non-rational, um, spatial thinking, spatial okay. awareness, things like that. Um, it's intuitive and it's holistic. So in other words, um, our mode thinking looks at a bunch of trees and sees a forest. Right. And L mode looks at a forest and sees a bunch of individual trees. Gotcha. Right. Um, so our mode thinking is like big picture thinking. It has a lot of, it's able to abstract. Yep. Or, yeah. Okay. And L mode is like uh, analytical thought about the big picture. Gotcha. Uh, processing, okay. like right. organizing information in a linear way. Right. Um, so uh, one of the things that they uh, talk about Andy Hunt talks about in here on page 54 uh-huh. is um, a little subheader called or a sub yeah subheader called um, rise of the R mode uh-huh. um, he says we have a bit of a cultural bias towards L mode thinking and related activities and we might tend to dismiss R mode thinking as being the province of lesser mortals R mode seems like a quaint leftover a vestigial appendage from some previous age when people believed that the world was flat and thunder was the result of unseen gods at war and indeed it was the strengths of L mode that differentiated humankind from common beasts it brought humanity out of forests and jungles and into villages and towns out of fields and into factories finally to land behind a desk and a copy of Microsoft Word and recall right. that the person writing this is a programmer so all of this right. stuff is sort of like talking about these sorts of things within the framework of programming sure but yeah this is one of the chapters that's like widely right and one of the reasons one of the reasons i like this book especially um you know we kind of keep coming back to it a little bit for various topics and discussions especially around the idea of design um creation of art Mm -hmm. creation of design or practicing design as a career path um i think that this book even if you're not doing software development so much of this applies to better understanding how your brain works and in real practical ways. Like I really enjoy um, like this discussion now. So um, it gives a good, he, he really quickly covers a lot of ground around the two concepts of L mode and R mode and what, um, what they might mean for you. Give some pretty concrete examples. Um, What is the, usually he has some kind of, I wouldn't say exercise, but some way for you to observe it. Um, oh, um, sometimes they're just examples. I mean, that, that kind of what we've been talking about, you know, you're, you're observing L mode when you're, when you're processing language or you're working through say, uh, homework, math, math homework or something, or some kind of, some kind of procedural process. Um, hmm. right. Or, I'm, um, I'm not sure. Oh, it's okay. I'm, Here's a here like here, do you want like a practical application of what he's talking yeah, about? Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So here's like an inset that I thought was really interesting. Oh, okay. It's uh, the header for this little. Um, it's like a box in the text. Yeah. An offset box. Um, it's titled "Cubicles Kill Neurons." Oh, I, I great. <laughs> right. Yeah. Is this sort of what you're? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So exactly this is a I mean. real world example of like why L versus R is important. Right. Or like not versus, but why understanding how both of them contribute to overall holistic brain functioning. Right. Um. So there's a a grand misconception mm-hmm. that once you kill off brain cells, they're gone forever. Okay. And um, that's not true. Okay. You uh. 
you have neurogenesis throughout your life, which means that you're creating new brain cells all the time, essentially. Right. Sometimes at a faster rate than others, and sometimes sure. you're making neuro neurological connections, mm-hmm. like actual physical connections in your brain faster than other times, which is right. what neuroplasticity is, and we'll talk right. about that next. Um, but the point is, there certain conditions have to be met in order for you to make new neurons. Okay. So... Uh, there was a press, uh, there is, is a professor named Elizabeth Gould. Professor Elizabeth Gould, uh, did a, a bunch of research on the continued birth of new brain cells throughout adulthood. Um, previously researchers did not think that this was possible. And the reason for that was the environment of their test subjects was so static and unstimulating that their the test subjects' brains did not have any pressure to form new to form new brain cells. Gotcha. And so uh, the example they say here is: if you're a lab animal stuck in a cage, you will never grow new neurons. If you're a programmer stuck in a drab cubicle, you will never grow new neurons. On the other hand, in a rich environment with things to learn, observe, and interact with, you will grow plenty of new neurons and new connections between them. For decades, scientists were misled because an artificial environment, i.e. sterile lab cages, created artificial data. Your working environment needs to be rich in sensory opportunities or else it will literally cause brain damage. Okay, then. Podcast over. That's it. That's all you need to know. Decorate your cubicle. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> don't have a cubicle yeah if you can yeah. yeah well a lot of people um well it'd be interesting so we're recording this right after we've done some podcasts on the um coronavirus outbreak or pandemic pandemic covid-19 it's, yeah covid-19 right so just uh for for reference this podcast will be posted be, on yeah. on april 6th right so we'll be listening to this a little bit later so it'll be interesting i i have no idea what the today state is of the world yeah today, <laughs> today is march 14th march, so right, yeah this will be like three weeks from now right. roughly so um, anyway uh well i was thinking a lot of people might be working from home right now yeah um i you know well now when you're listening to this i hope i hope most people are able to return their jobs at that point it'll be or, yeah. or I hope you can continue to work from home if that's something you can do and it makes you happy. Um, yeah, that too. But anyway, I hope, I hope things are, are kind of stabilized for people. Right. Um, yeah. Anyway. Uh, okay. So we've got L mode and R mode. We talked a little bit yep. about the sort of linear, uh, linear mode and, and I, I I'm not sure it's been a long time since I read this. Um, you read, the, you read this chapter more recently does he make reference to uh left brain right brain um in the sense that because i bring that up because i know um that's been fairly debunked at this point yes but it's a common like it's it's embedded in our like cultural understanding because i can't remember if he makes reference to why you know why linear mode like because the l mode and the r mode seem to really like just jump right off from the left brain and right brain i believe that they are Analogous. So L mode or linear mode is the same thing as left brain. Right. And so what was called, what used to be called left brain or what other people call left brain still, even though, because now it's understood that the brain doesn't work in the sense of like your left hemisphere is one way and your right hemisphere is for other kinds of thinking. Correct. Um, But it is, it is useful to think in terms of whether you spend more time in linear mode or R mode or whether you have, whether you find those equally accessible or not. Um, And there are things you can do which we'll kind of get to the neuroplasticity. Yeah. Um, 
to increase, I think, increase your access to both modes or to give your ability. To. Yeah. So, um, so this is, uh, this is interesting because he says on page 59, the hemispheres in your brain tackle this problem of identification differently. So, um, which specific problem of identification is irrelevant. Uh, one hemisphere of your brain is better at identifying local criteria. The other is better at understanding global criteria. Okay. And so in other words, um, if you're looking for global holistic patterns, you need to operate in what Andy Hunt calls R mode. Mm. If you need to analyze parts and look into details and need to be analytical then you need a uh, more of what he calls an L mode approach. For some people, the differences are not as profound. He says on page 59 mm-hmm. math prodigies in particular do not show these differences. Their brain parts are much more cooperative when they see uh, this characteristic or that characteristic, both hemispheres are more equally involved. I have a feeling yeah. and I don't know without having like a functional MRI, I suppose yeah. if I'm right, but I have a feeling that I am able uh, that I, my hemispheric differences are not that much. Right. And I have a suspicion yeah. that this is the case because while I was always good at analytical stuff as a kid, yeah. um, I was also specifically taught mm-hmm. very deliberately to think in R mode also, what is now being called R mode by Annie Hunt. Sure. So, um, and that was the lateral problem solving and like the right, brain puzzles right. we used to work on and things right. like that. And so um, I think that because people were giving me equal attention mm-hmm. for those different types of thinking, hemispheric, if you want to call it, L mode, sure. R mode, if you want to call it that, um, I'm much better able to to access both of them without <clears throat> having to like switch gears right, or right. have to consciously initiate a a move toward thinking one way or another, I just sort of do it. Sure. But I find that, um, I find that I'm much more aware within the last five or so years of my R mode capabilities. Like I think they've developed considerably. Yeah. I mean, since I've known you, we've had much more, we, we spend a lot of, um, time, doing activities that are conducive to armo thinking. Yeah. So, and to that end, yeah. um, it, right here in, uh, on page 59, also it, Andy Hunt mentions, if you aren't a math prodigy yeah. <laughs> or you don't come by this, these different types of thinking easily or transition easily. Sure. Um, there's ways to train your brain to get R and L mode to cooperate better. Right. And to integrate, the types of processing so that you're doing both of them at the same time. It's not a this or the other. Yeah. Um, you right. can train yourself to think about things differently right. so that it doesn't seem like such a contrast or it sure. doesn't seem like you're doing one or another. You can do both at the same time. Right. It's just, that's not usually something that's fostered in people. And so yeah. to do it, you actually have to put some work into it. Right. right. Um, and I'm think I'm lucky because they put that work into me before I was 10. Yeah. Right. And then I kept doing stuff like that throughout the rest of my life. So I hung on to it. Um, so he talks about how to do that in the next chapter, which is chapter four. So note to future selves, right. <laughs> there will be a future podcast episode on chapter four of this book, how oh. to actually do this stuff. Um, 
Yeah. So then the next thing that um, he talks about is neuroplasticity. So we can okay. move on to that if, yeah, please, if we don't have anything else. No. Um, so the next little section is called DIY brain surgery and neuroplasticity. And the first sentence in this section is, you can physically rewire your brain. And this is absolutely true. Um, I had like a weird brain infection injury thing several years back. And a good chunk of my stuff wasn't working right. And then it just started to come back. And because of the environment that I think I was in and the circumstances that I was in, when I started to regrow some of my neurological connections, mm-hmm. um, I think that I had a, a very um, in, uh, lots of environments that were very rich with the contexts that are required to spur neuroplasticity. Sure. And right. so I managed to actually pick up a lot of what feels like new abilities. Like I learned to do a lot of new things that I previously wasn't able to do when I was younger. Right. Right. And I think it's because I had a period of like extreme neuroplasticity and my brain was also trying to fill in stuff that wasn't working right. And there's, we'll talk more about that in a sec too. Um, cause Andy talks about it pretty eloquently, but, um, right. Uh, again, it was believed until recently that you're, you were born with as many brain cells as you were ever going to have. Right. And the the physical architecture of your brain, like the roadmap of your brain, yeah, with the highways between the connections between neurons and things like that, was just how it was going to be forever. Right. Um. Same with like spinal, spinal tissue column. You know, you can have spinal injuries and have regrowth, which they didn't think was possible either. Right. So there's sections of your brain. There's area of your brain that do, are sort of dedicated to doing certain things. Like you have, um your occipital lobe deals with interpreting the sensory data from your eyeballs and, and what you're taking in. Okay. That way you also have, you know, um, like your hippocampus has to do with memory. There's all sorts of stuff. So, um, the brain is plastic, meaning it can change its shape. And really when it does that, it's then retain that shape and then retain that shape. And the way that it retains it is by, uh, like say you move to a new city right. and you need to walk from your house to the grocery store and back. You can do that probably a bunch of different ways by taking this turn or that turn sooner or later in the process. Right. But as you take that path, your brain will increase your neuroplasticity increases because you're putting new information, you're sensing new things. Right. right. And so your brain starts your brain opens up. Yep. Um, this is also a metaphor, obviously. Sure. Your brain yeah. opens up and it becomes more plastic to allow for the acquisition of new information. Mm-hmm. And so you're probably going through an L mode while you're doing that because you are getting new stuff and you're trying to organize it in a linear, sensible way to get from your house to the store, go this right. way, then go this way. And after that, go this way and you'll be at the store. Right. right. So linear steps, you follow them the same every time. Right. And you can repeat them in reverse and it can be the same in reverse. Right. Um, and once you know that, yeah. you don't really need to change that very much. Right. Right. And right. so your neuroplasticity, the, 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 your rate of neuroplasticity or your capacity for it will probably diminish because again, like we it said earlier, changed, it doesn't no. need to be changed. You forget the last 10 minutes of the drive you're on because you've done it so many times. Nothing's new. Right. Right. When you set out on foot for the grocery store and then, all of a sudden they're doing construction. So you can't walk down your normal sidewalk. Your brain has to become more plastic to be like, Oh, now what are we going to do? And then you go into 
what I would assume is R mode because uh-huh. you already have the linear steps. But in addition to the linear steps, you understand that those steps comprise a whole. And right. once your brain realizes that there's a whole picture there, that's yeah. your right brain or your your R mode or, right. or your, that. Uh, yeah. Your, yeah. And so the the rich mode is the one that stores the big picture about how you get from your house, like the map itself, an overview of the map. This is cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So right. if something happened where your normal series of steps, your linear steps to get there had to change, right. your brain would have to become more plastic right. to allow for a change in the linear steps. And your right brain would take a look at the big picture uh-huh. and help to figure out what changes need to happen to revise the big picture and revise the linear steps. Yeah, and then yeah. once you do that right. and you practice it, it will overwrite the former version you had of the linear steps. Gotcha. Yeah. Because you have all these connections and you have all these neurons that are there to address a certain state of being or a certain mm-hmm. state, uh, sure. a, a series of, of things or facts about the world. Right. Um, and when, that is no longer true. Right. Something has to happen so that you can adjust and continue to exist. Right. And we know that that's true because people continue to adjust and exist in their right. environment. Right. right. So, um, yeah, the, once you don't need that old information anymore, yeah, your brain will reassign those neurons and erase or break down those neurological connections and rewire them Mm -hmm. to the new way of doing things. Right. Because the old way isn't useful anymore. And this can take a really long time Mm -hmm. because you don't want to, it's evolutionarily speaking, you don't really want to let go of everything immediately as soon as there's a change. Right. Right. Because it, you don't know if this change is going to be permanent. Right. Just because you experience something once doesn't mean it's repeatable. Right. And so you, there's a slight like zhuzh that happens like, Oh, uh, make a tweak to this. Yeah. Hang on to both things until we're sure we don't need the first thing anymore. And we've totally moved on to the second thing. Right. And after a while, um, that second thing eventually, that kind second of fades thing eventually, yeah, right. the, the first thing fades out. The second thing becomes primary and then you've right. rewired your brain. Right. Um, you can do this actively with practice uh-huh. and it sounds a little woo woo and hokey, but you have to believe that this is the case. Like you will very quickly talk yourself out of the capability to add new memories or well, mm. not add new memories, but add new information and right. um, access that plasticity or induce that plasticity. If you don't think you can do it, right. You will not do it. Right. I think that's always an interesting thing. I mean, the mount, I, I imagine it kind of makes sense that the mind has the most power over itself. Yes. In a way like, you know, it's not, it's not too great at, um, you know, t- telekinetic powers seem to be yet as yet undiscovered. Um, <laughs> I'm, right. not, I'm not saying I actually believe that they're out there. I just learned to levitate. Right. <laughs> but, um, but when it comes to the matter of itself, it seems, um, it, you seem, or, or one's mind seems sort of infinitely capable of, um, creating its own environment internally. Yeah. Absolutely. So if that's one of just, I will never change, then you will never change. Yep. Because you're doing that itself is an, is a mental act of a neurological act of reinforcement for what's already there. Right. Right. Um, and so if you keep reiterating that over and over and over in your own mind, you're just reinforcing what's already there and your brain will continue to hold the real estate 
for that particular thought process. Right. Right. Um, there's an interesting piece about this on page 60. Um, and this kind of shoots back a little bit to what I was saying. It's, they, they used to think that certain functions were fixed. And so certain areas of your brain only did this or only did that. Yeah. Um, and then neuroplasticity, the, the discovery into and the research into neuroplasticity showed that um, in general, you've got visual input, taste input, um, the, because of plasticity, there's things that your brain will be able to do if you lose functionality in a particular place. Right. It can fill in around the edges. It can actually grow new connections entirely and it can borrow processing capability from other areas that are essentially devoted to one thing like your occipital lobe. Interesting. Um, and use the, the capacity there to fill in for other parts of the brain yeah. that aren't quote unquote supposed to. Is this where, is this in reference when he cites that study of the, the blind man driving yes. with the camera? Yes. I love that. It's so cool. So I'll just, uh, I'll read it because it's really interesting and yeah. it's going to be, um, I think it's worth reading rather than summarizing. That's fair. So page 60, um, in, Instead, the human brain is wonderfully plastic, so much so that researchers have been able to teach a blind man to see with his tongue. And this was um, described thoroughly in a book called The Brain That Changes Itself, Stories of Personal Triumph from the Frontiers of Brain Science, which I read yeah. uh, after I had all these neurological problems. Yeah. And it's fascinating. And that book was that book and another book that we can discuss sometime were the things that made me realize oh, I can probably fix this problem over time if I make a concerted effort to yeah. undertake the types of thought processes and activities that will force my brain, right. or not force my brain, but open my brain up to the process of neuroplasticity so that I can actually acquire stuff and make some new connections across the yeah. janky parts that aren't working so well. Right. So um, back to the quote, they took a small video camera chip and wired its output to the patient's tongue in a small 16 by 16 pixel arrangement. His brain circuits arranged them, rearranged themselves to perform visual processing based on the neural input from his tongue. And the patient was able to see well enough to drive around cones in a parking lot. Also notice that the input device isn't particularly high resolution, a mere 256 pixels, but the brain fills in enough details that even this sort of low res input is enough. Neuroplasticity also means that the maximum amount you can learn or the number of detail or number of skills you can attain yeah. is not fixed. There is no upper limit as long as you believe that. Right. Uh, students who believe they could not increase their intelligence, in fact, couldn't those who believed in the plasticity of their brains increase their abilities easily. In either case, what you think about the brain's capacities physically affects the wiring of the brain itself. That's a pretty profound observation. Just thinking that your brain has more capacity for learning makes it so. It's do-it-yourself brain surgery. Right. It's fascinating. It is. I really I really love this book. Um, and I think this particular chapter is a really great setup for the rest of the the book. Um, yes. I can't recommend it enough if you're... Uh, it's such a great this book. Is, I, I, I'd love Andy Hunt to be like, yeah, we, we, we're totally going to pay you guys to promote this book, but I don't care. Um, obviously, we're not. We've made zero money making this podcast. Um, right. Of course. Yeah. yeah that's not why we're we doing it. it. Yeah. I mean, at some point, I guess uh, we've, uh, this is a tangent, but I think we've been thinking about maybe basically doing merchandising. So it's like if people want to support the show, they can just buy a thing. Yeah. Great. 
I mean, you can just send us money if you. Yeah, I'm sure that that's going to be possible at some point. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, not right now. We not have right no now. way to receive it. Right. Um, but I, that's I, anyway, this book is really great. Um, yeah, I, I definitely highly recommend it. But I think uh, this chapter really was pretty interesting. Yeah, it would um, be fun to feature this book that people could. It would be fun to feature all of the things that we yeah. cite or right. talk about or discuss or whatever. Right. I like I think this whole concept of the neuroplasticity is pretty interesting because it's something that's happening to you, whether you are like, you don't have to participate in it. It's just happening. It's the nature of existence as a human mind. Like you're, Mm -hmm. um, you may be someone who, you know, to kind of go back to the the cubicle, if you're spending a lot of time in a cubicle, there seems to be some evidence that, and it's not just the cubicle. It's about, it's more about the environment of it not being properly stimulating. Yes. And so then um, there seems to be pretty strong evidence according to the articles that were cited in this book. Yeah. I mean, that's another great thing about this book. He speaks, he speaks from a point of like citation um, in the sense that he's referencing other works that have been done where there's, uh, you know, studies, um, other experts. It's a, it's a great kind of collection of information and distilling it down. He doesn't do a lot of personal interpretation. Yes. It doesn't, it's not loaded with like, this is how I think everybody should be. It's not very dogmatic, I think, or would you say not dogmatic? Yeah. And um, there's not, um, uh, there's not, not the a lot of value judgments attached to this stuff. Or right. There's not any really, I don't yeah. think like it's not, um, it's kind of the perfect amount of excitement for the topics that he covers. He's mm-hmm. like, oh, this thing is really cool. And this thing is really cool. And oh my God, this thing is really cool. And oh, you should see this thing over here. Yeah, it's um, more of a like, check this thing out than yeah. it is a like, you should do this. Right, right. So um, anyway, the uh, the neuroplasticity, I think it's really interesting that um, I think it's just kind of fun to think about how when you're kind of spend a little time being self-reflective, and thinking about, well, what is the shape of my brain currently? Right. Turns out it's a chair. And is that useful for my what I'm trying to do with my life? Mm-hmm. And maybe it's not. You know, Maybe I could use more of a stepladder or I could be doing a lot better with a bed because I'm pretty tired and I'd like to lay down now. Yeah. Or whatever it is. But um, those are some pretty, pretty terrible metaphors. But um, <laughs> my point being is that... Uh, it's the neuroplasticity is a great way of thinking about like your brain as a tool and something that you can shape it into. Um, you can shape it into different things at different times and um, being aware of that or just thinking about the way that, that I exist in, in this world um, is helpful to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I've talked before about having ADHD and something that I, I, I've, I'd forgotten when I read this book, um, how inspiring it was, like, especially that part about, you know, if you believe you can, you can, mm-hmm. um, or that helps you a lot. Right. Belief in it. And this is one of those cases where believing in it actually matters as yeah. opposed to pretty much everywhere else, like any external physical existence. It doesn't matter whether I believe that that's a wine glass or not. Mm-hmm. It continues to be a wine glass, whether I'm in the room or not. Right. Um, now my experience of that is changes by my belief. Of course, like I can go out of the room and say, well, I have no idea what the wine glass is doing there. It might sprout three arms and, you know, yeah. get into a brawl with the, you know, with the pepper shaker. I don't know. But, um, 
But right. my point being is that there's there's strong evidence to suggest that reality continues to exist whether we believe in it or not. And so, um, but believing in the nature of your mind has a huge powerful effect on how you can how you can shape it. Sure. If you believe that it's like, no, nope, my mind is always in this one shape and there's nothing I can do about it. it it's going to pretty solidly stay in that, that state. Yeah. Um, until you can find a way to let go of that and, and yeah. like let go of your mind a little bit and be like, Oh, you know, maybe I could shape it a little differently. Might give me some advantages. So. Yeah. And, um, there's ways like, like you said in chapter four, the, the subsequent chapter, yeah, he discusses ways to spur or, um, instigate neuroplasticity. Yeah. And yeah. like when kids are young and you know, like little kids brains are like sponges. They just soak up everything. If you, yeah. you teach little kids like multiple languages at once and it's really not because quickly. they don't know how hard it is. It's right. because their experience of acquisition and neuroplasticity and growing connections and adding brain cells, um, is different from, human beings in different stages of their growth. So for right. instance, you have periods, natural periods in your life of neuroplasticity mm -hmm. and then periods where for evolutionary reasons or developmental reasons, you do not have as much neuroplasticity that ramps down. Right. right. Um, as an adult, you are only neuroplastic during certain situations that are out of your control. Right. Right. But you can also influence and, and instigate neuroplasticity through specific behaviors. And right. so while you might not get periods like you would as a child where it's just going to happen by itself and, and the floodgates are open and anything that floats by is going to get sucked in there. Right. Um, you can, you have to actually bring it about. You have to manifest it as an adult mm. and there's all different kinds of ways to do it. But um, it's not just going to happen naturally by itself like it did right. when you were a kid and it was right. all new things. Mm -hmm. Mostly because it's just, you just don't see that much new shit as an adult. Yeah. There, and so there isn't a lot of pressure to keep right. changing what's already there. It's funny. I was just thinking about, you know, having recently traveled to Germany and, and mm -hmm. come back and I was thinking about, um, there was something about this time in particular, but I was kind of remembering when I travel that I'm always like a little bit disappointed that it's just more humans when you get there. Um, <laughs> not, that I'm, not that I'm disappointed in hum humans. It's just, there's a certain sort of, you're not disappointed. In well, that's, that's not the point of the that's story. That's another podcast. That's another podcast. There's a lot to unpack. There's a lot to unpack there, Meg. Um, no, what I mean is that I, I delight in meeting other cultures. Mm-hmm. But there's that certain little bit of melancholy and disappointment that it's not just an entirely alien world. It's just humans living, doing the same thing I'm doing in the be the best they can, right? As trying, sure. to, you know, trying to live their lives, and um, and so it it has a little bit of it, it smacks of the mundane a little bit, mm -hmm. you know. When you kind of even when you go to quite a foreign country, you know, German is um. German is not U.S. It's not. It's not the United States, um, and they're not. They don't have the sort of American culture. They have well, a Western culture, but they have yeah. their own culture, and it it is fascinating. But they're also not little green men with alien antennas on their head and living in, you know, some mm -hmm. kind of bizarre alien structures. Right. Not that. <laughs> 
like if that were the reality, it would be shockingly terrifying probably to show up one day. Get <laughs> you off the say plane. you want this. Yeah. I don't believe you. <laughs> but there is, there's just, it's more just about the feeling of just kind yeah. of like showing up and being like, oh yes. Right. I mean, I, I see more in common, I guess when mm-hmm. I show up, then I do see differences. And sometimes that, especially as I get older and I realize that it know, would be interesting, um, if I mean, I think there's a, an uneven weight distribution given to the similarities and differences. So, sure. for example, it's there's probably a just a shit ton of uh, similarities between how people in the United States live and how people in Germany live. Right. But the that's again like the drive to work with the last ten minutes being the same. That's yeah. not really what jumps out at you right and the things that are functionally important to how you operate as a human within the environment right are the things that are different and so that's what gets the attention right and so when you hear about for for this uh for the sake of expediency we'll just skip over all the things are the same and we'll point out the few things that are different and then so all you ever hear reiterated is the things that are different and then you show up and you're like well this is mostly the same (laughs) right right exactly yeah (laughs) yeah 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 so for the sake of expediency we're just gonna leave out all the ways we are alike right yeah that's funny um yeah is there uh what else can we tell you about neuroplasticity and stuff uh i did i did a, a weird little anecdote about my own neuroplasticity is that i'm pretty sure i developed a couple of weird forms of synesthesia when i was making a lot of like cross connections yeah so um you know your brain can like like we said you're you're you can learn to drive with your tongue yeah because the neurons that are associated with the gray matter in your brain that interprets all of the stuff that your tongue takes in can also do double duty to fill in for the mm-hmm. stuff that's missing right. adjacent to it in the eyeball interpreting stuff right, and the vision right. interpreting stuff. So there, uh, you can you can reassign or do double duty yeah. on st- stuff that is assigned for one thing, not assigned, but not to be pedantic. You get sure. what I'm saying. Yes, like this yeah. is usually what this stuff does, but it can do double duty doing something right, else if the right. need presents itself and right. you can spur enough neuroplasticity. Right. And so um I think a lot of my stuff with my visual yeah function got mm-hmm. crossed over with some like uh physical like touch sensory stuff. Oh, okay. And so uh I can almost have, I, I wouldn't call them hallucinations per se, but like sure. very vivid images will flash through my mind that are things that I have never seen before. They're uh-huh. totally new. Right. Um, and those can be induced by, uh, like pushing on a specific muscle of mine or uh-huh. like, I, I don't know. I can't think of them specifically off the top of my head right now. And, and some of them are a little weird or like personal. So I'm not going to get into it, but, yeah. um, there just seems to be a lot more of my brain communicating with a lot more of the other parts of my brain in ways that it didn't do before. Yeah. And this has led to me being able to understep, understand really weird concepts that I wasn't able to understand before. Yeah. So like calculus, not sure. the, not the actual like writing down the math and doing all the like right. the stuff, but the, understanding the, concepts of it. the ideas that you're trying to describe with the math yes. now makes sense to me and I'm able to conceptualize them in ways that I sure. was not able to right. very clearly was not able to up until about four years ago. Uh-huh. Um, so it's really funny that I've, I've picked up uh, 
a capacity for things that trying to understand them in a linear way yeah. did not work for me. And when right. my neuroplasticity opened up, yeah, you were able to access that R mode. Yes. Sort of and kind of come at it from the other side, like wrap yeah. around from the other side. And right, so right. now it's it, instead of trying to understand in abstract math, yeah. what the numbers in math are describing in images, I'm able to understand the images and work backward from that to try to understand what the math is saying about it. Sure. Which is bizarre and hilarious to right, me. Right. Like, why, why didn't I get this in 11th grade? Wouldn't have yeah. had to try so hard calculus <laughs> yeah, and fail <laughs> miserably at understanding it. I, yeah. I mean, I, I, I have a lot of uh, empathy for that particular situation. I mean, I went to school. It, it often took like multiple iterations before I really like got, got a handle on, on a lot of the things that you're expected to learn in school. Like, um, well, and, and let me interject that the physical environment, the actual experience of being in school physically is antithetical to neuroplasticity, right? So you're trying to cram a bunch of facts in kids' heads in a, in a physical environment that basically is like the lab rat in the cage or the person in the cubicle. It's a pseudo jail. Yeah. Um, or prison compound. I mean, because most of the schools are built by the but prison contractors. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that's also another podcast. Of the sure. prison industrial complex. Uh, so good. And also school to prison pipelines. Oh, right. Yeah. Ridiculous. Um, I was going to say, and there was actually a good example of, um, you know, earlier today when we were, we were, we've been kind of planning out a, another project and one of the, one of the things involved was um, uh, the concept or uh, a type of sound synthesis called subtractive synthesis, which is kind of the classic. Um, and when we were working through that and we were kind of both learning more about it, um, mm-hmm. you know, I was disseminating to you the information that I had already known and we were kind of looking things up and um, it was really that there was a lot of like R mode moments there. Yeah. That were pretty cool um, in the sense that, it was fun to watch you make connections that sometimes I was, you know, I was clearly kind of struggling to communicate clearly, but then when it hit, it was like really cool. It was like, Oh, this is what you mean by, um, by additive synthesis, like how you can go from a sine wave and then with a number, the right number of frequencies, um, build up, build up a, um, a square wave Mm -hmm. analog essentially. Um, we should do a podcast episode. We're just coming up with so many episode ideas in this one. Look yeah. at our brains. Yeah. They're doing it. They're doing it. They're doing it. Um, yeah, we this, should do. I find the the synthesizer additive, subtractive, and FM frequencies like totally. Yeah, and we didn't even really get into the mind FM blowing at all. And that's a really fun topic to talk about. Yeah, um, and these uh, I, these things are all relevant to design. Um, Absolutely, I think. Um, and you know, to kind of contextualize, that was the one thing. I don't know if we. I don't remember this whole conversation. We spent. A fair amount of time. Um, it's pretty late at night. Yeah. It's about sometimes, one, sometimes one thirty in the morning. We live in different <laughs> places, so when we get together to work on these, we yeah. usually have to do several of them in the time frame that we have available, which oftentimes 
Yes. Is late at night when we've done other things all day during the daylight hours that we had to get done with daylight. Right. And now it's like, let's get to those podcasts and have these discussions that we've been meaning to have. So So, um, anyway, I wanted to kind of contextualize why, um, you know, how how this in the concept of, you know, because ostensibly this podcast is about design, art and design and (laughs) and how this is useful. Um, This is useful to just think about how your thought processes are around the things that you're trying to create because design is a a creative process. Um, I think a lot of things that are often thought of as like blue collar work or or blue collar work or um, like not knowledge based work, but more labor focused. Mm -hmm. um, I think that they get a disservice because they're also very creative processes. If you've ever watched somebody practice a craft, um, Mm -hmm who is even something as simple as like, you know, this guy's a career lineman, um, a lineman in the sense that, you know, he puts telephone lines up basically or power. My lines uncle is a telephone lineman. Yeah. And those, I like a lot of times, like the over the grossly overall, the job, like they may not get a lot of decisions about where power t- poles are placed or how things are done, um, on a certain level, but their day to day is not, not the, it's an act of creation they're making things with their hands or with their tools that they've been given uh, or, or they've learned to use. I mean that those are still our mode activities. They're still, um, that's still super important for sure. And, um, I don't see like a big difference necessarily between those, but this is again, a tangent. What I'm trying to get at, I mean, is are we suffering from feature creep right now? <laughs> yeah. Just it took us a little while, but we finally got there. <laughs> we were a little on point for this episode. <laughs> yeah, we, we kind of were. Um, I, uh, but I do want to say like these, all of these things kind of relate back to um, the process of design or the kind of as a human or as, you know, using your mind mm-hmm. towards the goal of designing something um, or being creative in some way, uh, understanding L mode and R mode, or at least using them as a framework to think about the own way, the, the way you think, mm-hmm. um, because again, it's a metaphor. It doesn't necessarily describe the actual biological function or the sort of meta or the not meta, um, the emergent form of a mind that emerges from the nature of having a biological nervous system the mm-hmm. way we do. But, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, more concretely, like this is, this is critical for understanding neuroplasticity, understanding that there are ways to change your thinking and foster more creativity or foster more productivity. Um, and sometimes yeah. they're the, both kind of the same thing. If you're, if you're producing a lot of creative, I think like, um, products. Yeah. I think like, uh, the idiom, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Yes. Is an idiomatic representation of our mode thinking. Sure. Yes, exactly. Right. (laughs) That's such a great observation. I really do. Uh, I do agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah. 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 Um, I spend a lot of time with someone who's very, 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 very practiced in L mode thinking. Yes. So much so that sometimes their ability to reflect on a, a roadblock, like uh, I'm doing this. Right. And after that, I'm doing this next thing. Yep. And after that, I should get this, yeah. but I'm not getting this. And so what's happening? Right. And uh, my natural instinct in a situation like that is like, well, like I, I came over here. Uh-huh. I, I, I set the thing down, and I expected the thing to pop out of the box, and now it's not. 
Right. And so rather than sitting there and saying, pop out of the box. Yeah. Walk over, set the thing down, pop out of the box. Walk over, set the... I would get up uh-huh. and I would walk around and I'd go, what's on the other side of the... Did I set this box down the wrong way? Uh-huh. Did I set it down on a thing that's preventing it from popping open? Right, right. Did I set it down upside down? So it is popping open, but it's popping into the ground. Yeah. I would immediately start like messing with it like like reverse engineering the problem yeah a bit. what's going yeah. on here so my right. r mode would I, my l mode would be the thing that gets me there and yeah. walks me over and has me set the thing down and expects the thing to happen yeah um my r mode would be like well it's not happening so what are the myriad reasons for why this couldn't be happening or why 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 this yeah. could not be happening and right. i would start to basically just like you know like a cat knocking a bunch of stuff off a window. So what happens if I do this? Maybe this is the problem. Right. And so I've had conversations like, have you considered this? Well, no, this is the way it works. Well, but it's not working that right. way though. Right. Yeah. So could it be that maybe thinking about the problem differently could yield uh, a clue or some insight into why it's not working? Well, right. no, but it works this way though. Right. 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 I- right. But I have or of, maybe lot, and <laughs> I have a lot of sympathy. Um, I also live with someone who. This is not a value judgment either. This is no, just an no, observation no. that yeah, I'm much more adept at our thinking because mm-hmm. I've had so much practice, right? And I am not as good at our thinking as this person is. Yeah, and I, so that I mean, it goes both have, ways, right? But I have a um, I have a lot of sympathy for this particular person you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in that matter, because I also live with someone who at times gets into like an L mode tunnel. Yes. And so I, and uh, I live alone. So I'm talking about myself, obviously um, <laughs> I will get uh, the urned. The urned. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I, I, every once in a while I find myself, you know, on reflection being like, man, I think 10 times trying the thing and it still didn't work is a little excessive. And you probably could have taken a breath and realized that like, as you said, you've had the, you know, you were putting the, the plug doesn't go down the drain. It plugs into the wall. And right. you know, I, I don't know what led me to think that it needs to go down the drain to power the whatever, but it, you know, that's a, it's, it's one forty in the morning. It's one forty AM. My metaphors are a little lacking. <laughs> But my point being is that there are many times where I find myself really bashing up against a barrier pretty hard, mm-hmm. really frequently mm-hmm. before I hit it. Like sometimes I just have to hit it hard enough. It's like hitting myself in the back of the head with a two by four. It's like, you know, you lay on the ground, you see stars for a while and eventually you get up and you're like, okay, got it. Message received. Got I it. need to think a little differently about this situation. Right. I have also had this. Yeah. I, yeah. I am by no means immune to that. Right. Right. Um, I, one of the traps I think for, for L mode thinking is that if you run into something in a linear process that doesn't resolve the way that you think it's going to, Mm -hmm. and you just keep trying that linear process over and over again, what you're in effect doing is creating a meta situation in your brain where you're building neuro, you're building a neurological expectation or neurological pathway of, like it's a layer on top of the one that already exists. So in essence, I'm going to bring the thing in. 
I'm going to set the box down and the thing's going to pop out of the box. I'm going to bring the thing in. I'm going to set the box down. The thing's going to pop out of the box. It's not working. Now I'm adding a layer of newness to the situation in the form of frustration. So now you're building the experience of frustration into this neurological process that you've already got. And if you keep reiterating the process that isn't working, you're reinforcing a process that doesn't work. Yeah. And if you keep getting more and more frustrated about it, you're building frustration into the process that isn't working right. that you keep trying in the way that you think it should work. Yeah. And so you're really like, it almost is compounding the amount of damage that you're doing by not shifting into an R mode thinking process. Right. Right. Which when I see this happening to people almost breaks my heart. Cause I'm like, Oh no, 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 no. You're going <laughs> to, you're going to reinforce the wrong thing. Right. Right. <laughs> Don't reinforce the wrong thing. Yeah. Um, this actually that that seems like a really good um continuation of the episode of how how not to do a thing how not to do a thing right? yeah. how to do a thing so no one ever asks you to do it again right, exactly. <laughs> that guy can't place a box and have something pop out of it to save his life <laughs> <laughs> let's never ask him to do it again right Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, especially the part of like reinforcing and adding in, adding in anxiety and frustration into right. a process as soon as possible <laughs> and then reinforcing it as much as possible. As much as possible. Right. This is terrible. <laughs> How to hate your job. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of a good, um, that's actually a good example of neuroplasticity as well as, um, it is possible to, if you like, like now, like I find myself in a situation where it's like, I'm going to have to make some uncomfortable changes in the near future. And I'm going to have to like, you know, address, um, like financial long-term plans and, and kind of, everybody know. hates talking about long-term plans. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is like a plan for your funeral and your long-term healthcare. Exactly. It's like, don't talk to me about that. Yeah, I don't want to know. Um, but I need, you know, I'm getting to a point yeah. where it's like, and I'm going to have to, but, um, and so I'm probably going to start taking some contracts that I normally wouldn't because they're going to be either um, dull. I get not dull. Uh-huh. They're going to be. Um, they're not to, going to be making a podcast at 1:40 a.m. I'll tell you that. That's true. Right. right. They're going. They're going to be work. Right. I mean, that's why they call yes. it work. Like, and and I don't begrudge them. Like, people need that work done, and I'm going to need to take those contracts and help them. You know, I'm hopefully that I'll they'll be happy to award me a contract and I'll sure. do the thing. Um, but what I'm trying to get at is that sometimes when I look at a contract, I'm like, oh man, this seems so boring or like, why would this, there are ways to use like utilize neuroplasticity to change your mind into the shape of a mind that actually might find a little bit of joy in doing that. Sure. And then, you know, the next thing you know, it's like, oh, I actually maybe enjoy, you know, processing a database in this particular way or spending a lot of time like down in the nitty gritty of a server room, like Mm -hmm. running some weird code on some weird process or something. (laughs) But, um, but you can find some pleasure in it if you can leverage that neuroplasticity and be like, Hey, I'm going to have a positive attitude. Kind of, this is where it kind of matters for yourself, less so for other people around you. Um, I mean a little bit, it can be great to have a positive attitude so that you, crush other people's negative thinking before it happens in a positive just, way. Just murder it just happily. Murder it, like <laughs> happily. Murder just it lovingly. At, just smile while you're doing it. Right. It'll be fine. <laughs> look them in the eye too. Yeah, look them in the eye while you just stab that idea with a big old knife. Right. No. Um <laughs> what I'm trying to get at is that uh 
you know, you believe you can do, you believe that you can feel good about this and you believe that you can um, find joy in it. And then you believe that you can um, do it in a way that is effective for me. This and tr- believing those things can yeah. help you start to build that, that, that leverage, that plasticity of yes. your own mind into the shape of a mind that is actually both capable of doing those things and, um, and enjoying it. Yes, because you could have, you're going right. to have an experience. Right. And I'm just thinking back on what I said. And then obviously it doesn't matter if you don't know how to do the thing. No, obviously also you need to also have, have the information, that. Right. but I'm just saying, you know, fill out the whole picture and make it something that's actually enjoyable for you. Right. For your own mental sanity. Sorry. I, no, no. Yeah. Um, I, I found that when I get frustrated with the situation or, um, feel trapped by it, like doing yeah. the same thing over and over and over again and not having any kind of, uh, success or yeah. just a, like no change. Right. Um, right. like you and I have talked about how, when we like, I think why we relate to each other and why I relate to like your ADHD is that in certain circumstances, I am very sympathetic to what you experience as a sure. course of your normal day-to-day existence with ADHD. Right. And there are certain situations that for me feel and look a lot like having experiences like you have with ADHD. Although yeah. I do not, I don't think I, th- I don't think I have ADHD, sure. but I think I can be very sympathetic to that because when I go into a new situation and I have to use our mode thinking a lot, right. um, that's when I'm happiest. Like I feel very good. I feel like I'm making a lot of progress. Like, uh, I think a lot of what I allow myself room to do when I think philosophically is allow our mode thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I'm formulating a philosophical argument is when I use the L mode thinking more right. because I need to logically step by step convey what my thoughts arrived right. at to somebody right. who hasn't had them themselves. Right. Right. And so, um, I have a lot of those like aha moments where out of nowhere, I just realize something. Uh-huh. Like in one of the other episodes that we did, I talked about uh, a recurring nightmare that I had from nine mm-hmm. months in a row. No shit, nine months in a row, every fucking night. I mean, and when I met you, that was what was going on. That for was you. what was going on. Yeah. And right. I was like, I, I usually have very rich and very colorful and very bizarre and yeah. like fantastical dreams with a lot of. A lot of ins, a lot of outs, a lot of what have yous. Right. And so it was... Interesting characters. Interesting characters. Funny subplots. Hilariousness. <laughs> um, all with an underlying element of sort of like realistic right, truth right. to my own life in waking life. But of sure. uh, like just a lot of stuff going on, like going through the wardrobe into Narnia. Right. Um, and so for me, having the same dream every night... L- written for, by a team of Harvard writers or something. Sorry. Yeah, it yeah. was just excruciating. Uh-huh. And what I realized when I had the aha moment yeah. at the end of nine months was it was my brain trying to reconcile yes. some shit that just did not make sense. Right. And when I realized it didn't make sense, yeah. that was the thing that allowed me to progress to the next step and and get past it and stop having the nightmare. Right, right. Um, but that was my R mode, like my R mode and your R mode and R mode of everybody listening. Yeah. It never, ever stops working. It's constantly trying to sort things and make sense of all of the stuff that it's hanging on to. Right, and right. It doesn't clean house. It 
it hangs on to everything to try to understand why it's useful. Like, oh, right. how does it relate to this thing over here? How does this thing that I know relate to this thing over here? Do these things have a relationship? How I'm, are they connected? I'm imagining this like highly anxious person like holding on to everything around them. Like your brain cl- is a hoarder. Clamoring for like contextualization. Yeah. Just being like, I'm going to get this in context any minute now. Any minute now. I don't know why I have this trophy. Oh my gosh. Why am I still holding on to this? I don't know, but it's important. I don't know. It's important though. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I don't re- I don't see. Oh, here we go. I don't even know what time it is now. Uh, it's 2.13. 2.13. Well, so there we go. We've had, yeah. added another 25 minutes to our discussion and now I'm finally like, I can't remember why I was talking about my nightmare, uh-huh. but yeah, whatever. our mode and, and our mode and Elmo. The point yeah. is, like, mine just cranks away yes. all the time, and right. eventually, it solved the problem for me. Like Which this weird yeah. fucking metaphor in right. my dreams suddenly was very crystal clear in the ways that it was reflecting my actual life. Yeah, and it was like the mother of all forehead slappers. Yeah. Like I just woke up one day right. and I was like, oh my god. I need to change this thing. This is the thing. Right. This is the thing. That's the problem. And then I changed it. And then I had all kinds of like explosive, beautiful, colorful, like right. inventive, like just a, a cavalcade of entertaining dreams after that, because yeah, I felt yeah. like I had been freed from prison. Right. Right. That's yeah. That's great. So I had, I mean, I, I remember when that happened, it was pretty exciting. Like your whole demeanor changed. I felt like a different was, human. Yeah. You you are. You were. I don't know. Yeah. I mean. Crazy. Yeah. So it's, I guess if there's like a takeaway from this, it's like foster, foster both of these functionalities. Like. Yeah. It is worth it. it like I, this may tread dangerously close to optimism for me. Uh-huh. But. No, no, no. I, don't worry. No. No one would accuse you we'll of being ma- an optimist. I will more than make up for it in short order. Right. Um. When I am confronted with a situation that isn't what I'm expecting or that I want, yes, I now realize that I can have ideas about it and hang on to those ideas about it yep. and reinforce those ideas about it by thinking about them over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah. And it will do me a disservice Yeah. as opposed to me realizing that I am, oh, it's not, this situation is not meeting my expectations. Right. But my expectations are by definition linear. This is going to happen, then this is going to happen, and this is how I'm going to feel about it, right? Yep. When your expectations are upended, it can be very disruptive and very unhappy. Yeah. But if you can practice the like conscious exercise of being like, wait, wait, though. Yeah. This is an opportunity to spur neuroplasticity. Right. Because when right. something unexpected happens, even if it's unpleasant, your neuroplasticity yeah. becomes a thing like you you open the floodgates. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what's nearby. This right. is why people who have traumatic experiences yeah. associate trauma with objects or or situations or um, imagery that has nothing to do with the traumatic event. It just gets sucked in because the trauma itself is what increases the neuroplasticity because it's the unexpected event that spurs the neuroplastic activity. Right. And so like the kids who absorb three languages at home or whatever, right. you're just a sponge during that moment. Mm-hmm. So if something really sad, ha- if your family member dies and there's a song on the radio in the background, yeah. you're not going to be able to listen to that song again without thinking about that experience right. because the shock of it 
increased your neuroplasticity for long enough that you just sucked in whatever was happening at the time. Right. And that right. built a neural network in your head that every time you think about it will be reinforced. Right. And so right. if you can consciously practice mm-hmm. being like, wait, wait, this may not be what I'm expecting traumatic or otherwise, but what is happening around me in my situational awareness that yeah. could be beneficial or like what what should I be aware of that's going to get sucked into this moment and encoded in my memory and my experiential brain right that I'm going to have to unlearn later or like work around or whatever. You can use this in a positive way to in non-traumatic experiences to be like, oh, since the floodgates are open right now. Yeah. Let me review those French words that I was trying to learn, you know, right, or whatever. Right. It doesn't have to be that mundane, sure, but, but yeah. you can use these situations to your advantage right. and try to control a little bit or try to supplement what gets in there and gets locked in right, in your neurological right. processes. Right. Um, if you're aware of, of things that will trigger neuroplasticity. Right. And that's what I try to do. Like, Oh, this is not what I was expecting. Oh, but I could spend this time like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, accessing maybe a little bit more of my capacity to, to learn and retain things. Right. Because all of a sudden I have this little window of opportunity. Right. And that, um, I mean, that's a tricky, uh, a tricky thing to implement right away. Um, but it, I use, I think, you you can definitely one can definitely do it. Um, I think it's I mean, easy. Like for me, like I had fairly a, like like methodically. You can get to that point where you're doing it. Yeah, like it's not you know you can you can get to a point where you're like oh I'm better at this. It's something yes. you can practice fairly easily mm-hmm. in your everyday. You know, just be like every day I'm going to like recognize one moment, right? When those floodgates are a little more open, and I'm just going to be a little more aware of it. <laughs> so um, yeah. Yeah, and that I anyway. Um, I think we've kind of beat this topic to death a little bit. Well, I mean, I could probably talk for another hour about. We're just trying to but, reiterate so people like reinforce what we're saying in their neurological pathways. Right, it's a process. It's a process. Um, do you have more you want to? No, that's okay. it. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I. So we probably. I mean, I could talk forever about this because I'm so fascinated with my own neurological processes over the last four years. Like, I'm just amazed at myself as an organism that was capable of. Yeah. So I could go on forever. I think we've said enough for now. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a um, we're we're kind of pushing up here at the end. So um, you're going to have some tips for living well in hell. Yeah, I do. I have a specific tip. It's learn something or make something or do both every single day. Right. So that's a the newness is is what spurs this creative growth process in your brain. Right, right. And so any new event can trigger that. Right. And so if you deliberately set up new events and attach things that you want to retain to those new events, they'll just get sucked in automatically. Right. Yeah. I yeah. Um, hell is a real fucking boring place uh-huh. so you have to make your own fun right and learning something or making something every single day will alleviate some of your suffering yeah yeah um yeah and that actually reminds me of one of the other tips i think we've we've already disseminated at this point which was uh is it no act of creation is too small mm-hmm. yeah um yeah i really like that one as well these, I these are good. a lot of these seem to revolve around um you know, taking some, taking some time to make something for yourself. Yes. Yeah. 
pays off in droves. Right. Yeah. Is that the right metaphor? I don't droves. even know. Is that the yeah. right? I think so. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So uh, I think that wraps it up. Um, it's been pretty satisfying. Like we've, you know, I've been kind of watching, like there's been a little bit of like growth and, and listenership. Yeah. Um, like we so can no longer like, you know, truly say our audience. Um, it's, there uh, is no longer one audience with a T at the end. It's audience. Yeah. Pluralize that word now. Audience. Audience. And we're thinking about, onboarding an executive assistant oh yes i actually really so this person that you're talking that you were talking about that we're going to hire um mm-hmm. i don't know if we can use her name yet until she signs on mm-hmm. um but uh so you know you know ned you know me you know yeah, chris right and you know, you know damon damon yeah um, um, but this is a new person. Yeah, this new person. Um, I'm not sure how much she's going to want to actually be on the podcast, but she seems really capable of handling a lot of the problems that were, they're, pro- they're not problems. They're great things. You know, uh, one of the things about producing a podcast uh, is that you have to spend the time talking on the microphone, which mm-hmm. is the fun part, mm-hmm. but then you need to spend some time editing. And I'm sure if you've listened to any of our other episodes, you know, I'm really heavily like editing. So it's really high production. No, I'm not. It's basically <laughs> yeah. push record and then, you know, maybe clean up a few things at the front and the back and add a little, little noise at the front. Remove identifying details and names. Yes. Exactly. All references to people living or dead are coincidental. Yeah. etc. Et um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. Well, but not. Um, uh, anyway, I'm really excited about her, um, mm-hmm. because I think she's going to really make a lot of things a lot easier. So hopefully we'll, what we're probably going to do is put her email, uh, assuming she takes the position, we'll mm-hmm. put her email up on the website. Um, so people can contact her directly if they want to have some interaction, you know, if they're looking to like interact with the show in ways like for sure all complaints all complaints yeah um please direct all complaints right to our future executive assistant yeah um was the other i unless they're funny complaints unless they're funny complaints then don't share them with her we want to see those right um no she's pretty great i'm sure she would share them with us if they're of, of value or, or worth a read or two um what was I going to get? Oh, she's our value judgmental gatekeeper. <laughs> what was one of the other titles we were thinking about? Um, oh, executive assistant, uh, chief inquisitor. Chief no, Inquis- no, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which finder um, general? No, no. no. Uh, prime inceptor, prime inceptor, prime inceptor. Uh, you know, yeah. executive assistant sounds so terrible. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, especially chief because, interlocutor. I like that one. I like that one. Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the anyway, brain trust. The brain trust. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, she should be. Um, uh, she should be a real boon. I think she seems. She seems to be willing to take on a lot of the projects. That we the, big boon. the big boon. <laughs> That's what we should call. Her. They call her the big boon. The big boon. <laughs> anyway. Um. Yeah, she's great. So. Uh. Yeah. Anyway. What's the? I. I guess. I guess we're done. We went through tips. I done. rambled on at the end. We're done. Took a tangent. Go. Um, yeah. Go to bed. Go to bed. I guess. Yeah. Get out of here. Get All right. Okay. Okay.